of you joining us today, let me ask you, this might be a rhetorical question, but who loves a good night's sleep? Anyone of you love a good night's sleep? Where's all the, where's all the early to bed people? You love sleep so much, you get to bed early. All right, where's all the night hawks? Let me hear you, whoop, whoop, if you're a night hawk. Where's all the kids that wish your parents would let you stay up a little later? Yeah, I see you. I see you right in the front row. Where's all the parents that you're just desperate for a nap? Well, don't nap in this service. I'll get you to nap this, this afternoon. Uh, I, you're always hearing new terms, new definitions, always hearing new things. And I heard a term recently, I didn't know what it was. It's called revenge procrastination bedtime. Revenge, revenge bedtime procrastination. And I was like, what is that? Revenge, bedtime, procrastinate. This is the idea that people who have really busy schedules and they don't have any control over their day or their time uh, have a tendency to stay up later at night in some sort of uh, fashion trying to gain control. And they're like, I can't control my schedule. I've been so busy. I just need a little me time. And so they procrastinate going to bed. They stay up later. So if you're one of those people, you might suffer from revenge, bedtime procrastination, trying to get some control of your schedule. But uh, have you ever known someone who had that like superpower when it came to sleep? They could just sleep anywhere at any time. It's like the annoying person who can just fall asleep instantly. Now, I know that you guys have gotten to know Pastor Holly. She's amazing. I love Pastor Holly. And if you didn't know, she's my wife. That's why I love her a little more. Uh, you know, she sings like an angel and all of that stuff, but she has sleep superpowers. Anywhere, anytime, instantly, she's asleep. You ever seen those dolls where you like tip them backwards and the, and the eyes close? It's like you just put her in a horizontal position and she's out cold. It's awesome at night because I just say, babe, what do you want to watch? Anything. Whatever you, you pick it. I just want to, whatever you want to do. And I just know as soon as she gets down, her eyes are going to close and then I can watch what I want to watch. But that's good. That's good. But there's nothing like a good, comfortable bed for a good night's sleep. Anyone love your bed? Anyone have a good bed that you love? Holly and I, we've been married 20 years. About four years ago, we, uh, almost four years ago, we, we found out that the mattress that we had uh, gotten when we first got married had turned into a hammock. Anyone have a hammock bed? So, you, you know, you both people kind of roll and you meet in the middle, you know, or whatever. It's just that, that really slinky mattress, just like that little swale in there. And so we thought, hey, we better get a new mattress. And so we went mattress shopping and uh, we went to Costco and we got a mattress and it looked like a good firm mattress, good pillow top on it, you know. And and uh, I don't know what we did when we first got married. We just got the first mattress we could find, and that's the one we went with. But now we are, we're choosing a mattress. And so we, it looked really cool. We got it home, and, uh, and uh, Holly loved it. But it was just so firm, and every morning I'd wake up with like pains that I never had before, and I was like, this mattress isn't working for me, and, uh, and about this time, if you remember way back in ancient history, we had a thing called COVID, and during COVID, there was some lockdowns, especially where we were living in Ontario, and so we bought this mattress, and the next week, we went on lockdown. I hated this mattress, but I couldn't return it. Did you know you could return a mattress after you, you could try it, sample it? They wouldn't let me return it. And so I was stuck with this mattress for like eight weeks. Uh, and I couldn't take it back. I couldn't do anything. Every night waking up with pains. And I was like, the best sleep ever. And I'm like, oh, I hate this mattress. Well, now we have a mattress that we both like. And it's really good. But you know what's even more important for getting sleep than a mattress? Is your pillow. Pastor, would you bring me my pillow, please? I brought my pillow to church. This is my pillow right here. How many love your pillow? 
How many of you have ever gone to like a hotel and they give you like those wafer thin pillows, right? Some people like a nice thin pillow, but when their pillow's too soft or too firm or too hard or too thick, this is my pillow. Have you ever gone pillow shopping? Like mattress shopping is embarrassing, but pillow shopping is even more embarrassing because you got to try it out. Right, and so you're in the store, and you're kind of just like, how is this going to be? And, and you're like, re- everyone's, you're like, I'm like a, an arm out kind of guy, right? Like this, right? See? And so this is my pillow. You can see this is like a big, beefy pillow, right, right here. It's like, you know, it's because I'm such broad shoulders. I need something to, you know, put my, yeah, yeah, you're right. And so this is like my bamboo pillow with crushed memory foam inside of it. And it's just, this pillow goes with me everywhere. I love traveling, and when I travel, I bring my own pillows. So if you ever have me over for a sleepover at your house, you can keep your pillow. I'll bring mine. It's good. And so this is my pillow. I love my pillow. It gives me a good night's sleep everywhere. I go, Who loves their pillow? Just let me see anyone. See, I, I grew up and I didn't, I, yeah, anyways, I just got a little bougie over the years. And so now I just I have my own pillow. It's really good. And you're like, well, Pastor Jerry, what does that have to do with the sermon? Well, you'll just have to see. But here's what we are. We're in the middle of this series. We're not in the middle. We're actually at the end of our series. Next week, we're going to be starting our Advent Christmas series. And so we're wrapping up our series. We call altars over the last seven weeks. And over this series, we've been looking at the moments that God wants to mark. Mark, mark, mark with his presence, with his power, with his provision. We've been talking about celebrating the faithfulness and the goodness of God in our life. And so we've been looking at stories of the Old Testament uh, where people had a significant God encounters and they built altars and monuments to mark the place. And we've been talking about how Abraham uh, built the altar of covenant. We talked about Joshua, the altar of celebration. Noah, the altar of new beginnings. We talked about the altar of worship, the altar of prayer. Last week we talked about about the altar of sacrifice. And so the altar was really the place where the heaven would meet earth and people would do business with God. That's an old-fashioned term. If you grew up in Pentecostal church, old school like I did, we used to call this place at the front the altar. And we would go there, we would kneel there, and we would go, this is the place where we're going to do business with God. But how many know that the altar is not a place? It's not here at the front of the church. The altar is a place in our heart where we set aside space and time to do business with God. And that's what we've been talking about. In, uh, in 1 Peter 2, it says this. He says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. And through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We don't go to stone altars and wood altars anymore. They are the altar and the place of worship for God. Romans 12 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We don't go to a place to worship God, we are the place. We are the place that God inhabits. Who wants to do business with God this morning? Anyone in this place? Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 28 as we wrap up this series. As Nadine said, we're talking about the altar of decision. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled to, toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. 
How many think that Jacob wished he'd brought his pillow with him? For context, many of you who are new to scripture and some of you who might need a refresher, Jacob is a son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham that we talked about last week. And the reason that he's leaving home and headed for Haran is that he's running for his life. How many kids have ever ran for your life, right? They're running for their life. Jacob, we discover in the preceding chapters, is an ambitious man. He has dreams. He has had dreams of being important, of being influential. He wants to be blessed. He wants to be wealthy. And we see that Jacob's a competitive guy. He's driven to achieve. And Jacob, as we also see, is a twin. Any twins in the house? Twin, he's a twin. And the scriptures say that from the very youngest age, he was always fighting to outdo and one-up his brother Esau. Jacob was a man with dreams and schemes. Big dreams, big schemes. Would you say that with me, kids? Say, big dreams dreams. and big schemes. Jacob, uh, we see in Genesis 27, had used his brother's carefree attitude and his lack of discipline to swindle his birthright from him. Uh, In that ancient custom, the birthright was uh, that extra privilege that came with being the firstborn child. And uh, we see that Jacob uh, had swindled that from his brother. He used his brother's uh, impetuance to to swindle that from him. And then we see in in, uh, chapter 27 that Jacob and his mom, Rebecca, and the Bible clearly records that Rebecca had a favorite child. I know that all of us parents in this place, we would deny having a favorite child. I don't have a favorite child. I want to put that on the record. But Bible says that Rebecca had a favorite child of her two sons, and her favorite was Jacob. And so what she did is she put Jacob, and she devised a plan to have uh, Jacob be blessed by his aging father, Isaac, who was losing his eyesight. And so they devised a scheme that, uh, to get Isaac to pronounce a blessing over Jacob that he had intended for Esau. So that's the backstory. And now fearing for her son's life when Esau discovers the treachery that's gone on, uh, you know, you think your family's messed up. This is a messed up family. They got a lot of stuff happening. And uh, when Jacob discovers what her, his younger brother has done, Rebecca sends Jacob away to uh, avoid his brother's anger. And she said, you know, let your brother cool off a little bit and then we'll call you back. And so uh, Rebecca sends Jacob to Haran. Uh, to her hometown, Uh, and so he can be far enough away that Esau won't pursue him, and uh, where he can live with her brother Laban, and maybe find a nice local girl to settle down and marry. Uh, You know, what's interesting is that Jacob is literally retracing the steps of his grandfather Abraham. We talked about that in week one of this series, that God had called Abraham out from Haran, had called Abraham out from uh, that place of his father's home, and calling him out from that place where he was worshiping and doing what the rest of their family was doing. How many know sometimes God calls us out of places and delivers us from things that is heartbreaking to watch our children go back to? Sometimes we go back and retrace the steps. Our parents, our grandparents have been freed and from things and we retrace their, their steps and we go back to the things that God had called them from. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? I know I've talked to many of you and you said, my heart breaks for my kids. I, I, I've been delivered from that place. I don't want to see them have to go back. I don't want to have to see them relive the lessons. But we see Isaac uh, and, and Abraham have left that place. Now Jacob's going back to that place. 
I said it before, I said it last week, that God doesn't have any grandchildren. That means that every generation needs to have a God encounter of their own. That's why we do Family Sunday. That's why we do youth ministry. That's why we do young adults, because we know that every generation needs a God encounter of their own. And so now we find Jacob here in the middle of nowhere. He's on this 500-mile journey towards Haran. And as the darkness is closing in and it's getting unsafe to travel, as the night is setting, so is the darkness of his situation setting in on his mind. I wonder if Jacob had a hard time sleeping that night, thinking about all that had happened, thinking about how he had deceived his aging father. I wonder if he was thinking about hugging his loving mother goodbye. I wonder if he was thinking with fear, I wonder if my brother Esau is on my trail. Wondering what's going through his mind. And as the stars came out and the quietness of the night surrounded him, Jacob is coming to grips with the fact for, for the very first time he's alone. He's alone. Uh, what a price to pay for scheming for the things that he wanted. See, Jacob's in this place where his dreaming and scheming for a blessed life had left him vulnerable and alone instead. Have you ever found yourself in that place? That place of darkness or emptiness, loneliness, maybe where your great expectations have seemed to evaporate, maybe where your big dreams have been shattered, or maybe all your attempts to work towards blessing have been blocked. Can I encourage you today that you can't outrun God? You can't outrun God. That even when it seems like you have nowhere to turn, that you can't see any light, that there's no hope at the end of the tunnel for you, God sees you. We learn a little bit about Je uh, Jacob in Genesis 25. It says that as, a boy, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. How many know that you're two, you have two kids, they're not alike, right? And so we see that Jacob is the mama's boy. He's like the, you know, he loves to be at home. And, uh, and maybe that's why we find him out camping for the very first time, and he chooses a rock for a pillow. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's why. But I think there's no better illustration to outwardly represent what's going on inwardly in Jacob's heart. He's in an uncomfortable place. Here's my first point this morning. This is a point that I've experienced to be true, a point that I've experienced uh, to be true in the lives of the people I've pastored. I, I see it all through scripture, and that's why I know that it can be true for you. And it's this, that God meets you in your place of discomfort. If you've ever heard, if you've experienced that, let me hear you say amen. amen. God meets you in your place of discomfort. You know, as Jacob eventually drifts off to sleep, God shows up in a powerful way. Verse 12 says, as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth and they will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. And what's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised from you. See, Jacob had heard about God from his grandfather and his father. He had been raised in the faith and he had this worship of God, but he had never had a personal experience and encounter with God until this moment of his own. 
But now, here in this place of discomfort, here in this place of depression and desperation, God meets with Jacob. Author C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, we often use this expression that we're at the end of our rope. The end of our rope is really that place where we've come to the end of ourselves, where we, we've come, we are desperate, we are, have nowhere to turn, our dreams and schemes have all turned out to be nothing, and we're truly at the place, at the end of our rope, when we come to the end of ourselves, I believe that we're truly at the place where we can meet God, where we can meet God, where we can see God clearly for who he is. God uses the place of discomfort to give Jacob the greatest revelation that God alone is the source, the source of purpose, the source of fulfillment, the source of blessing, all that Jacob had been striving and dreaming and scheming towards. God says, I alone fulfill all of those things. And in this beautiful moment, God doesn't chastise him for what he's done. God says, I will promise you what I promised to your father and to your grandfather, that I will be with you. But there's something more significant. God wants Jacob not just to know blessing. He wants to know the promise of his presence. He says, I, I am with you. I protect you. I'll lead you. I won't leave you. God says, my promise uh, my presence is my promise. My presence is my promise. What an incredible dream that God gives Jacob. What a significant dream, isn't it? And in this dream, God gives Jacob a glimpse into the supernatural realm. He gives us a glimpse of this stairway to heaven. You thought that was Led Zeppelin? <laughs> Scripture. The stairway to heaven. And God is at the top of the stairway. And on the stairway, his emissaries, his angels, his messengers are going up and down from earth to heaven, bringing about the blessing of God, bringing out the orders of God, bringing out the promise, the protection, uh, taking the prayers of the saints. It's like this connection up and down to heaven. And God's reassuring Jacob of his nearness. I think part of the reason Jacob was dreaming and scheming was because he felt God was distant and absent, that he felt he had to do and take matters into his own hands. In this moment, God is saying, I'm near, I'm present, I am with you. Verse 16 says, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid, and he said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway of heaven. You want to talk about a refreshing night's sleep? I think Jacob probably woke up with a crick in his neck, like he's sleeping on a rock. So I, I can't, you know, but that crick in his soul, you know, that pain in his heart, I, I think he woke up refreshed and healed in such a way. And I love this statement, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. How many know that sometimes we are not aware of God's presence in our lives and in our situations? I love 
that he wakes up, he says, surely God's in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. See, notice that God didn't show up when Jacob woke up. The Bible says that Jacob woke up to the reality that God had been there all along. Jacob woke up. Turn to your neighbor and say, get woke. <laughs> get woke. Jacob was getting woke long before people were getting woke in our day and age. He got woke and he woke up to the reality that God had been there all along. See, God was waiting for Jacob to stop dreaming his own dreams and scheming his own plans long enough to wake up to the fact that God was waiting to be seen by him. Well, Jacob's funny. He thinks he's stumbled onto some earthly portal. He says, well, this is the doorway to heaven. This is the gate. This is a special place where heaven meets earth. But he would soon learn that God in his omnipotence and his omnipresence fills the earth at all times and in all places. I love Deuteronomy 31. It says, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. We have this promise of God's presence. We see this in the New Testament. Jesus himself says, Matthew 28 says, I'll be sure of this. I am with you always. I am with you always. Friends, wherever you go, God is. Wherever you are, that is where the stairway to heaven reaches earth. When the sun sets and the darkness rolls in, God is there. Right? When your dreams are broken and your expectations have evaporated, God is there. When you're having a hard time at work, God's there. When you're having a hard time at school, kids, God is there. When your kids are sick, God is there. When your marriage is shaky, God is there. He promises to be with you in all places, at all times. You know, we often pray that God would be with us, that he would help us get through what we're going through. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I pray often, God, would you just be with me today? How do you know that's a little bit redundant? When we pray, God, would you be with me? It's like we need the reassurance, right? It's like we need the reassurance. We're telling ourselves, God, would you be with me? But he's kind of like, like yeah, that's kind of what I do, right? I think a better prayer, no, that's, not, that's, a, that's a good prayer of reassurance, but I think even a, a greater prayer is, God, would you help me to see you in my situation? God, would you help me to see you in what I'm going through? God, help me to see you in the meeting I'm stepping into today. Help me to see you in the conversation that I need to have. God, help me to see you in my classroom at school. Help me to see you at the, the dinner table with my family. Help me to see you in my counseling session. God, help me to see you. I was talking to someone last week, and I said the very first prayer that you should pray is, God, if you're real, show me. Reveal yourself to me. God doesn't play hide and seek, friends. God doesn't say if you, he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. That's what the Bible actually says. If you seek me, you'll find me. He's not trying to hide from us. He wants to be found. And he reveals himself to us. If we'll ask and we'll listen. Anybody, anywhere and everywhere we have the opportunity to see God because his presence is his promise. In Psalm 19, it says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Romans 1.20 says, Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing 
God. We can look at those things and deny God. Scripture actually says that we have no excuse because those things point to God. We can say, I doubt God created this world. I doubt God is the one who fabricated all this, but his fingerprints are all over it. And God says, if you will truly look, if you will truly let me show myself to you, if you will get woke to the fact, fact that I've been with you all along. Now, having encountered God, Jacob has a decision to make. How will he respond? Decision. Actually comes from the Latin word, I gotta look this up, I wanna make sure I get it right. Desedre. Desedre. And it actually means off cut. Decision means off cut. Basically when we are deciding, that means that we are cutting off everything else that's not relevant to the situation. We are cutting off everything else that uh, is not important to what we're choosing to do. When we are deciding, we are going one way and cutting off a different way. That's what decision means. And so Jacob comes to this place of decision. Now that I've met God, now that I've become aware of his presence, I have a decision to make. What am I going to do? And having met God in the most unlikeliest and unexpected of places, and having woken up to the presence of God in his life, Jacob makes this decision. And it says, I am going to worship God. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to dedicate myself to God. Verse 18 says, the next morning, Jacob got up very early. And he took the stone that he had rested his head against. And he set it upright as a memorial pillar. And then he poured olive oil over it. And he named that place Bethel which means the house of God. Did you know that? Your church is called the house of God. Bethel means the house of God, although it was previously called Lutz. I don't know. I don't want to go to a church called Lutz. I want to go to, to Bethel. And so he takes this stone that he had turned into a pillow, and now he repurposes it again, and he turns it into a pillar. It's a monument to mark the first of many places that he'd have significant God encounters in his life. And he consecrates it. The Bible says he pours oil out on it. Oil in scripture is as a, as a liquid sacrifice. It's, it represents consecration, holiness. It re represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he pours that out onto this stone. And then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on his journey, and if he'll provide, with me, uh, provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. I could do a little sermon on tithing there. We can see tithing isn't an Old Testament principle. It actually predates Moses and the law. We see Jacob basically just saying, God, if you're going to lead me, if you're going to be present in my life, then I want to give everything I have to you. I'm surrendering my dreaming and my scheming as a way to follow you. And we see here that Jacob isn't bargaining with God. This isn't God, if you will do this, then I will worship you. The Bible would be better translated to say, since you're doing this, I'm going to do that, right? If you, were, if you said, well, if, 
you know, when you're having friends over, you know, Christmas is coming up, and you don't say, well, if you're going to make a turkey, I'll bring the stuffing, right? It's not, well, if you do it, then I'll do it. It's just like, since you're doing that, then I'm going to do this. God, since you promised to be with me, to lead me, guide me, since you're going to do that, then I will worship you. I'm going to create this place. I'm going to set up this place of worship in my life. I love that his stone becomes a pillow. And then his pillow becomes a pillar, a monument. And so I just am wondering, you know, church, you're going to go to bed tonight. You're going to get on your pillow I just want to remind you that your pillow is a monument. It's a pillar that reminds you of the promise of God. Every day in your life, that every night when you go to bed, you could rest your head on your pillow with your arm out if you're a side sleeper, whatever it looks like for you. And you could say, God, thank you for your presence in my life today. I'm going to be a worshiper of you. When you wake up in the morning and your face is in that pillow, you can say, God, thank you for your promised presence. To whatever today brings, you're going to be with me. I'm going to be a worshiper of you. His pillow became a pillar and a monument for what God wants to do in his life. You know, in John chapter 1, Scripture records the encounter of another man waking up to the reality that he's in the presence of God. John chapter 1, we see the story of Nathaniel. Nathaniel just minding his own business. The Bible says he's actually sitting underneath a tree. As he's sitting underneath a tree, one of his friends comes and says, Nate, come with us. We've met this guy. This guy who's told us and revealed God to us in such a significant way. And so Nathaniel gets up and he goes with his friends. And he has this encounter with Jesus. And in this moment, as he hears Jesus talking, Jesus begins to speak to him about his life in John chapter 1. And Nathaniel's response in John chapter 1 is that, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And then this is what Jesus says to him. He says, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Jacob had this dream of the stairway of heaven connected to earth, of access to God the Father who stood at the top of it. But Jesus said, I am the stairway. I am the source of access to heaven and earth. I am the conduit and the source of God's blessing and provision in your life. Friends, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know whether the season of life has been discouraging or difficult for you. I want to encourage you today that often the night is darkest before the dawn. I love Bailey and his testimony. He said, I had a point in my life where I didn't want to keep living. I didn't want to be here anymore. But God showed up in my life that that stairway of heaven met him where he was. God, God wants to meet you where you are today. That stairway is Jesus Christ gives us access to the Father. And even if you're in a place of discomfort, you have an opportunity to see God in a fresh way. And when you see God, you have this decision to make. The decision, like Jacob, is will I follow you? God's promised that I will be with you. If you will follow me, I'm going to lead you. If you'll listen to me, I will guide you. If you'll do things the way that I've set out and follow my principles, I will bless you. He's already said what he's going to do. He's waiting for us to say, God, I need to decide. I need to 
cut off all other options and all other ways and follow you and you alone. Something changed Jacob's life and it wasn't what he did. It wasn't a scheme or a dream. It was someone that he met. It was an encounter with God. So this morning I pray that you would have an encounter with Jesus in a significant way. Would you stand with me all across this room? We're gonna worship the Lord uh, together in just a moment. Jesus, I pray, God, that in this very moment, Lord, that this place, it represents the place where heaven meets earth, but not because we're in a building, not a building that we call a church. This is just a building, but your church are the people and the altars are our lives. And you said that wherever we go, you'll be there. And where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in their midst. And so we pray today that people would have an encounter with you. Reveal yourself, we pray. Lord, speak to the darkest parts of our hearts. Lord, speak to the depression and discouragement that we're going through. God, would you bring light and hope and peace and joy in this moment, we pray. You're the one who makes the way. Thank you, Jesus.